Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. This week, we will celebrate Veterans Day. And Veterans Day, of course, honors all of those who have served in our military for our country during times of war and during times of peace. And of course, on Veterans Day, we remember all of our veterans, even those who've paid the ultimate sacrifice. But it's not to be confused with Memorial Day. Veterans Day is largely intended to thank our living veterans for their sacrifices. And today, to help each of us remember Veterans Day, I have a very special guest. And yes, I know I might say that about each of my guests, but this one really is and truly special to me because I have my brother, Edward, who happens to be my favorite veteran joining us and to give us a unique perspective of Veterans Day. For those who don't know, I have three older brothers, and my brother Edward is the youngest of the three, and he pretty much prayed me into existence when he was little. So I was the surprise that came late into my parents' life because of his mighty prayer life, even at a young age. Edward went to West Point. He graduated in 2003. So of course, that was right after 9-11. And when he and his friends graduated, they faced careers which would be defined by war. And Edward served in eight combat deployments within special operations. And he recently left his beloved military career to come serve alongside my dad at Samaritan's Purse, which we will touch on later. But Edward, here we are, and welcome to the Fearless Podcast. Thank you, Sissy. After uh, listening to your podcast for so long and so many of the uh, the episodes, it's a truly an honor to be on with you, my little sister. Oh, you might... I might be more nervous to interview you than anybody of my other guests. Says I'm so proud of you and the uh, platform that you have now and your voice. So thank you for speaking truth and mighty and always speaking from Scripture. But as a big brother, I'm very proud of you. Well, thank you for taking the time of your busy schedule just to help give me and listeners just a unique perspective of Veterans Day. Because, Edward, I remember uh, just the pictures I've seen when you were seven years old and you and my brothers and the whole family were bringing me home from the hospital. And in those pictures, you had all the military gear on, even as a little boy at seven years old. And of course, I remember growing up, you had two posters on your wall. You had a West Point poster and you had an Army Ranger poster. And God instilled that passion of military in your heart at a young age. But what was it about the military that made you always know you wanted to serve this country? You know, Sissy, I... I think it's just a passion. You mentioned, you know, as a small, young child, I was always playing Army. Um, I never played Navy. <laughs> Dad was a pilot. I never played Air Force. I always played Army. Um, be honest, a little dig at Navy. I don't know anyone that plays Navy growing up. Liam's starting to do. He plays with Legos and uh, builds battleships and aircraft carriers. Um, I just had that passion. Mom grew, as you remember, Mom raised us on John Wayne movies. Um, I loved a good Western, and I loved uh, good triumphing over evil. Um, as I got older, I loved uh, TV shows like Tour of Duty. Uh, it was about Vietnam. Uh, Dad helped and still. He always took us to um, you know Army surplus stores and would buy us stuff. 
And as you mentioned, when you were born, Mama Jane, which is, for those listening, is our grandmother, my mom's mother, took us to a toy store and I bought a cap gun. So I went home and I put on my load-bearing equipment, which is an Army LBE, my jungle hat, my boots. And when we went to pick you up, I took my gun and we went in and I pulled security on your S, you know, on your exfil out of the hospital. Back then, they let you take cap guns into hospitals. They probably don't do that now. Um, but I don't know, sissy. God put that in in my heart to serve this. I, I love for this country. I think this country is a gift from God. We are blessed. I've been all over the world, uh, you know, serving with the ministry, but also in the military. I've, I've been all over the world. We are truly blessed. We live in the greatest land. Everybody, I don't care who they are, they emulate us, they want to be us, they want a part of us, or they hate us. Um, and I think they hate what we stand for and what this country was built on. I wanted to fight for this country and to tell God, thank you for letting me be a part of this. And so that's, I think, where that came from as a kid, uh, uber patriotic. You know, Greenwood song, you know, I'd probably stand up. Um, you know, I love this land. I love that song growing up. I, I grew up in the era of Ronald Reagan. And I think his leadership and greatness and how it made our country powerful again, our military powerful again, I just was attracted to that. Well, and I'm very thankful. I think God, like you said, does instill that into young boys at a young age, your boys and my boy included. And that's my son, Austin, loves to go to Edward's house to play army guys with Edward's, Edward's boys. And yeah, you were talking about the cap gun in the hospital. Austin wanted to know why he couldn't take his uh, cap gun to school the other day. So... <laughs> But as we're looking at Veterans Day this week, what does Veterans Day mean to you personally, and how would you like to see others observe it? I remember being in the, and when I was in the military, people would call me family members and say, happy Veterans Day, thank you. And I'm like, well, I'm still in, I'm not a vet. And I never thought I was going to be getting out. You know, it was not in my mind. I thought the Army would eventually just kick me out for old age. Um, you know, I didn't, I was where God wanted me, and I was serving, but now that I'm out and I see so many veterans, you know, out there, especially with our ministry that we do in Alaska with Operation Hiller Patriots that you're so very much more part of than I am, uh, you know, you look at so many wounded, my wounded guys, my wounded rangers, and they struggle um, when they wake up in hospital rooms and paperwork signed for them, and they said they're no longer allowed to serve in the military. I think for so many, for so long, it was our identity. Um, I struggled with the decision to get out because I was wrong. It was my identity. Um, as you can see right now, if you know, because you and I are talking on a screen, but you can see my lapel. I'm still wearing my Ranger scroll. I love my family. That was my family. Um, it still is. And you know, I left that family, but I still so close to them. We we bled together. We fought together. But I look at these veterans out there, and I think a lot of them still hurt. They miss, especially the wounded ones. Um, because they feel that maybe that identity was taken away from them. But even those that made it, you know, served a couple years and got out, those that were in combat or not in combat, I think there's a sense of family and and brotherhood and sisterhood that you miss. Um, that's why you probably were attracted to it anyways. There was things you didn't like. There's plenty of things in the military that are stupid uh, that we, we don't like. Uh, there's horrible things you see and are part of in combat. But I miss that. I miss that family. And so when I look around and I look at all these veterans that I think we, no matter where you are, you're in a room, you see a guy wearing a hat that is served or something, there's an instant connection. And it doesn't matter what tribe you're from in the military, 
whether you're Navy, Air Force, or Army, we'll, we'll joke and tease each other, but I think we love and respect each other. And so this Veterans Day, I just look at my brothers and sisters out there and I'm like, thank you. Thank you for willing to, whatever your motivation is to put on that uniform, to serve others. And you know, that's what I, you asked me as a young kid, I think I was raised in the idea of servant leadership, modeling after Jesus and, uh, and great Christian leaders that I knew. Uh, it, was, it was servant leadership. And so I just wanted to serve. And even though I'm not in the military anymore as a veteran, I still wanna serve this country. I love it. I'm proud of it. I'll still fight for it. And I'll just, I've been equipped with other tools and resources, I think, to do that. So for this Veterans Day, as I look at my fellow vets, we're not done. Um, our service isn't over. We still have great work to do, and our country needs us. Um, our churches need us. And so I look at veterans on this Veterans Day, and I'm praying. I'm praying for a healing in this land, and I'm praying for leadership, and no better leaders than vets out there. So my prayers for them. Yeah, that's a great point because you left willingly, which that was still painful to leave a career that you loved behind, but you felt God had called you. But so many of them have a forced retirement due to an injury, and they've had to leave this life that they have appreciated. As you said, it's been their identity, but they've had to uh, dramatically leave it behind. It all just maybe happened in an instant. And that it can be a very hard transition from the military life into the civilian world. And um, we can talk about maybe in a little bit what Samaritan's Purse uh, helps giving them another identity and that God is not done with them. And even no matter what uh, we face in life and the different chapters that open up, God is never done with us. But many of us were never there at that moment. A veteran will rate or a person, some of them boys and girls, you know, if they're 18 years old um, or men, raise their right hand and take an oath for this country to put their life on the line, to give their life of service to this country, that we're never there at that moment. And some of them will have a re-enlisting oath when they're in the middle of combat, that things, I think as civilians, we don't think of on a daily basis. What is it in somebody that they would raise their right hand and give an oath? And what is that moment like? for a soldier. You know, Sissy, I remember when I took my oath at West Point, um, you, you take an oath when you first go into West Point, that first day, and you're, you're so shell-shocked. Uh, it's, uh, it's quite an experience when you show up to West Point, but you take an oath that day. And all I can remember is that, you know, your parents are out there watching you, and then after that, they leave. Uh, you know, you've been there all day getting yelled at and screamed at, but then they leave and you don't ever see them again. I, I barely saw mom and dad out of the corner of my eyes. I marched out there. I don't remember. Hey, I was my, there, by the way, crying yeah. at you. I, I remember. I was bawling, thinking your life was over. Oh, I felt the same way. Um, and part of me wanted to just walk off the parade field, maybe. But they, uh, I was. I can remember just being proud. For the first time in my life, I was wearing a real uniform that represented the United States of America, and I, there was a sense of pride. And uh, I loved the flag. We did it b um, below the flagpole there at West Point, overlooking the Hudson River. And so I remember that oath. But as an off, I took the oath of an officer um, when I graduated West Point. And again, the family was there, and y'all were there, and we did it there at the chapel in the back back there. And I just remember taking that oath, knowing that 9/11 had happened. We were already in combat. I knew I was going to combat, um, but I couldn't wait. This is what I had trained for. This is what I, God had prepared me my whole life for. I had a mission, I had a purpose, and I was going to lead men in combat. 
And I, I didn't know how or when or what it was going to be like. There was so much uncertainty. But I knew that I was in God's will, and there's no safer place to be. But as I take that oath, I remember sitting there, and it's like a surreal moment that you're committing your life to serve something else and greater than yourself. And um, you kind of realize how small you are during that time. But I, my favorite thing in the military of almost all the things I've done was giving the, the re-enlistment oath to an NCO, which is a non-commissioned officer, someone that had done their initial uh, enlistment, but they decided to stay on and continue to serve. We're, the Ranger Regiment and the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment are the only regiments within the United States military that has been continuously deployed since 9-11. They have rotated battalions through over and over. There has not been a break since 9-11. And so when I went in, I was in the range room. That's all I knew. And these men were re-enlisting, knowing they were staying in combat. And the guys, they get to kind of pick how they want to do their re-enlistment. And if you do it overseas, they'll get a bonus, and a financial bonus, and it was tax-free if you did it overseas. And so they would come up with creative ways like, hey, sir, on Xville tonight, can we do it, you know, from the bottom of a helicopter? So I was doing what they call spies, where you hang from a rope and you snap onto the rope and it lifts you out of the compound. We did that over Mosul in daylight, holding, and it has, there has to be a flag. So a flag was tied to the rope. We had this plan, and we're re-enlisting a guy over Mosul, flying back. Um, I've done it in a firefight. We've been in the middle of a nasty firefight. It's a 20, it's the, to be honest, it was the largest firefight I was ever in, the longest one. It was over 24 hours of nonstop combat. And uh, every aircraft that checked on that day, except for one flight of A-10s, went what they called Winchester. They dropped all their ammunition. That's how bad this fight was. This kid tapped us and goes, can, can you re-enlist us? Mm. Behind a rock, and they pulled out a flag, and, and we did a re-enlistment ceremony in the middle of a firefight. Um, but to say that and listen to say these words, I remember this one ranger, he extended on a deployment. Um, he, his term was up, and he extended to, um, to go back over, and he died. And so anytime a ranger came to reenlistment, his name was Platino, um, I would give them a Platino speech where, do you know what you're asking for? Even if it was an extension or a reenlistment, they actually did the oath, I talked to them about knowing, and they all, they all knew Platino. They would all shake their hand, and they like, they wanted to fall in the same footsteps, and they knew what that possibly meant. And um, that always affected me. And uh, those are powerful words when you say that, and they, they, they mean something, because again, you're committing yourself something bigger than yourself. It's, to me, one of the most unselfish acts, and I love watching Rangers do that. You're talking about combat and being in the middle of combat. And I think some people, and they might look at you and they heard you had a military career. Many people, there's many different careers inside the military, but yours was on the battlefield, pretty much your whole career. And I, I know you've been asked this question, even in your, when you were still in and in interviews, they would ask you, how does your faith affect you? You know, how, this is called the fearless podcast. There's not, that doesn't mean we're always fearless, but it's encouraging those in, You've had to live out your faith in some of the darkest places in the world on a battlefield. And how do you balance when God has called you to be a warrior, a warrior for your country and a warrior for the gospel? How do you balance your faith as a warrior? And Sissy, it's a great question. Uh, there's many believers, especially in special operations community and the Ranger Regiment. I knew a lot of fellow Christians. 
And then there's a lot that aren't. Now, me personally, I don't know how you do it without faith, especially marriages in the military. It's hard, even as a believer. Um, but how I balanced my faith, sissy, it's all I had. It's all I understood. I, I saw things and I was a part of things that were bigger than myself that I could not explain. And because of the very definition of Christianity, that we're followers of Christ, we have to understand surrender. And surrender in the military is a dirty word. We don't like it. We're, we're strong. We're bold. As a team, we should be as a team, we can do anything. Now, there's individuals out there that think they can do it all, and they're going to fall short quickly. But as a team, we're powerful. Um, but I realized even then, we couldn't do it all ourselves. And I, I saw things. I was a part of things that if I held on to and I, and I buried him down deep, I was going to break and I was going to crack. So I learned early on to surrender. And I think that was the academic challenges at West Point that I realized that, ooh, I could not do this by myself. And as you remember, um, it, a couple miracles happened several times in order to get me through that institution. Um, so I knew God was always in control and I was in his, in his will over there. But I learned to surrender those horrible things. And God walked me through them and he led me through them. You know, you hear the the story and, you know, about the footprints on the sand and, you know, then you see like one set when it's getting hard, but the story goes, that's where Jesus was carrying you. Uh, I think most of the time I was always on his back, um, you know, riding along. And I felt his presence um, throughout my career. But, you know, people would know I'm different. Uh, in the military, it's hard to be an evangelist. You just can't go around and and preach your faith, especially for chaplains. It, it is a challenge for chaplains, and they're, they're handicapped. I don't care what they say, the chaplains are handcuffed in their faith, the believers. They're meaning that they can't, they can't do their true job as a chaplain, and they can't proclaim the name of Jesus. They have the answer, but they don't want them to tell what the answer is. Um, because I was a Ranger Infantry officer, you know, I'd get asked to pray at things, uh, memorial services. I remember my one boss, we unfortunately— that's when Platino died. I was just talking about Platino. He asked me to do the memorial service. And I'm like, sir, you got the... Our chaplain, we sent to go be with that company, you know, that we didn't all live together. And so the helicopter, the 160th chaplain came over, and I was like, you know, boss, let him do it. And he's like, no, I want... Because you can pray in Jesus' name. And so as, as an infantry, I could get away with things that sometimes the chaplains couldn't, because if you didn't like it, well, don't ask me to pray again, because I only know to pray one way, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Um... So my men knew what I stood for and what I believed in. And what I, I'm, sissy, ain't like that, I'm an introvert. I think I'm a high-functioning introvert. The psychs would tell you that in the Ranger Regiment. We were led by high-functioning introverts. But my favorite part of leadership is when the men came in my office and they closed the door, can we talk, sir? And when they did that, I got the opportunity uh, to be able to share. Um, there's a great story about Jerry Falwell, the father. And, you know, he was friends with Larry Flint. And his son, Jonathan, told me the story. He asked him one time after getting a plane ride from Larry Flint, you know, Dad, why, why are we hanging out with this man? Um, and Larry and Jerry's like, well, he's my friend. Jesus hung out with the tax collectors. But he said, I want to be able to earn the right for that phone call. When something bad happens in Larry's life, I want to earn the right for the phone call that he picks up and asks for help or talks to. I wanted that for my men. And for a ranger to do to earn that, you had to walk the walk. You had to be able to, you know, lead in the fire. They had to respect you. Um, they had to know that, you know, you had their back. Um, but at the same time, they knew there was something different about me and that I wasn't walking alone. And so I earned that right to say, sir, what's different? Or can I talk to you about my struggles or my marriage? 
And that was dirty. It's trench warfare, but it was my favorite part of my ministry. Um, so, um, yeah, my faith was, it's what I was, you know, a follower of Christ. And I just happened to you wear the uniform. But as we'll talk here in a little bit, um, I let my identity slip and, and God got me. And I think that's just a good reminder to any of us, whether we're in the military or not, that as Christians in a light in this world, that we have to gain the power of love in somebody's life and that respect before you can gain the power of influence to share just the gospel and the love to somebody. Um, and I always remember that story of Jerry Falwell. But for 20 years, and you mentioned this, you wore a uniform and you can... Uh, talk to those who are listening of why you decided to walk away. Cause this is a career you loved. You mm -hmm. Like you said, you never thought you were going to leave it behind. It came to a surprise to all of us. Um, I never, I always was so proud to see you so handsome for those who don't know my brother. He's like six, four, the square jaw. He's very handsome. He's your typical GI Joe. If you saw a movie and he's always been my big brother. He's always been my protector. If anybody in high school messed with me, they had to deal with my brother, Edward. So it came to a shock, I think, for us to say here he was going to leave the military because maybe um, that's where our identity in Edward was as well. And maybe we were at fault for that. But why, why tell us, those who are listening, um, what God called you to do instead. As you said, since West Point, you know, I did four years at West Point and then 16 years in the Army. Uh, those four years don't count towards retirement, those West Point years. Um, but I'd been wearing a uniform. Every morning I got up, I put a uniform on. I did. I worked out with my my men. Um, you know, I, I eight combat deployments I can talk about. Uh, it's it's what I was, you know, and, you know, dad or mom or y'all, someone asked, well, what, what does your brother ever do? Well, He's an Army Ranger. If you had asked me three years ago, Edward, what are you? I'd have looked at you and looked down and I sounded like, well, you're clearly, you're blind or you're an idiot. I'm an Army Ranger. My scroll says that. My tambourine says that. Um, my men say that. Um, I proudly said that. Uh, it's what I was. It was my identity. Was I a believer? Did my men knew, know that I was a Christian? Yes, they did. Um, was, you know, as a Bible beater, as they called it? No, I got... You know, I think compliments or people would say, hey, you don't smack us with it, but you reveal that and you emulate or you speak the truth or when you speak, you, re you relate back to, to what the gospel says. And, but still, sissy, I realized that everything I was doing, everything I was breathing and everything I was dreaming was my career in my military. I'd been the aide to the commander of U.S. Army Special Operations. I did not want to be the aide. He, he picked me, but he was a very gracious and gentle but powerful man. He let me see behind the curtain the decisions he was making. And when he, I put him in the car to retire, um, you know, his wife, and I loved his wife, sweet lady. She hugged me, kissed me on the cheek, goes, Edward, it's all yours. And she got in the car and they drove away. And I just remember watching them drive away and is that me in 15 years? And the first time in my career it came back, no. And I was crushed and I was hurt. I went upstairs, I was signing out of that command and going to another special operations command to be what they call the chief of operations. Um, I was waiting on battalion command. I was promotable. I was waiting on my lieutenant colonel uh, to pin on and then I was gonna be on the command list. You know, from everything they were telling me, I was gonna be able to take my pick of command. I was being groomed for a ranger regimental battalion. Um, I knew that, they told me that. Um, 
I felt that. I had all those chances. It doesn't mean you're going to be one, but you have a strong chance. And it's a very steep pyramid. Everything I wanted, Sissy, was coming, you know, coming up like it was being built. And it sounded, it felt like it was being handed to me, but I was broken for the first time in my life. You know what, Sissy? You talk about fear, and this is fearless. Nothing in the military scared me anymore. Combat didn't scare me. There, there's fear. There is times, I remember when I first had Hannah, the first firefight I, I got in after we had had Hannah, Hannah's face flashed in my my eyes. And she's while I was running across that poppy field in southern Afghanistan in the daylight, Hannah kept coming to my mind during that firefight. And that frustrated me. It scared me. Um, but Hannah's what I thought about. And as we had more kids, you know, you, you'd kind of flash or... Few times I got blown up. Several times I got blown up. You know, that flash, that boom. Your life does kind of flash before your eyes. And my kids is what I thought of. Um, but nothing in combat scared me. I still did everything. Still jumping out of planes. It didn't. You know, I don't care what you say. It's not normal to jump out of a plane. You're gonna have a little bit of a fear no matter how many times you do it. It's not natural. Um, but it, I wasn't afraid anymore, and I realized I was comfortable. And sissy, I read, um, I was praying, and I, read, I prayed that dangerous prayer all the time from Isaiah. Who will go for it? Who will I send? Lord, here I am. Send me. And the military says that a lot. Um, and, the, and it's not meant for combat. It's meant for spiritual warfare. And he's going to go fight the good fight for the Lord and, and serve him. And I prayed it. Dad had asked me years ago, as you know the story, I was stuck in Alaska on a plane with him, and he asked me. And I said no, and I quickly said no. And Dad never asked me again. But his proxies did. And uh, one of his board members, and Sissy and I have a fake uncle. We call him Uncle Dick. But he'd be, Sissy knows, he's my equivalent to a godfather. He's my spiritual mentor, and we're very close. But he called me, and we had a long talk. And after that talk, Christy knew I'd been struggling. Um, I agreed to come to serve Dad at Samara's Purse. I called Dad. It was two in the morning. I was in an exercise, and we had that. We had a conversation, and Dad's like, "Well, Edward, wait till retirement. Wait for four years." But sissy, I didn't sleep. I still struggled with a decision, and it wasn't regret or fear of leaving the military. I just didn't agree to what I was supposed to. And I talked to Roy, or sissy and I's um, middle brother, and uh, the next oldest above me. And Roy gave me some wise advice. He's he's like Edward. The disciples left their nets in the water and followed Jesus. Two other disciples, called, God called them, and they just left their father there in the boat. They didn't say goodbye to their moms. They didn't sell the fish. They left. I knew God would figure out retirement. So I called Dad back, and I'm getting out. But sissy, my, I did this because, A, I felt the calling, but also Samaritan's Purse scared me. The ministry scared me. This place is huge. God's built it. Dad didn't build it. Um, God's brought talent and resources here. I don't want to be the person that brings an end to Samaritan's Purse. That scares me. That's why I came. I needed to get uncomfortable. I need to get out of the boat. And I read in Matthew, and it's talking about where the parable where Jesus walks on water, and I'm probably talking too long here, I'm sorry, but this is, um, I was reading it one night, and this is what triggered it all. And, uh, but it says in there in, on 14 and 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, is if you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him. 
You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. See, I think for so long I read that from the uh, the old days, like the flannel graphs from Sunday school. You know, and you're, you, you look at that story and it's like, silly Peter, he doubted. Don't ever take your eyes off Jesus. You know, that's kind of the lesson we learned. Don't doubt. I think later that night, I don't want to add to scripture, but I think later that night, the disciples sat around the fire and they're all probably still staring at Peter and Jesus. And they're staring at him with bewilderment, but also jealousy, because Peter was the only one that was part of a miracle that night. He's the only one that walked on water. The rest didn't get out of the boat. And I read that, if you want to be part of a miracle, you got to get uncomfortable. You think Peter was scared? He was, but he walked on water. He got on and he took his eyes off you. He felt, we're going to stumble. I got to take risk. I took risk my whole career in the military, but my career was going great. I wasn't taking risk anymore. I wasn't scared. Time to, time to get out of the boat. And all my my only commitment to dad, well, there's several, but what I agreed to in getting out with him, sissy, was I agreed to help transition the Samaritan's purse to whoever he or she is ordained by God to lead it into the future after dad. That is my commitment to dad. And um, I was told to come help him finish strong, and dad is crushing it. So I couldn't be more proud to be a part of Samaritan's Purse and working with him and for him. Yeah. Um, I think when we listen to that, it's just that when God calls you to do something, he doesn't call you to do it um, later. He calls you to now. Your obedience yeah. is now. You don't serve. You don't choose to serve him when it's comfortable to you. Yeah. And how thankful we are. And there's been army of people praying for you and Christy, Edward's wife, which I didn't mention earlier on, but Christy, and they they have four children who now live in Boone. But speaking of Samaritan's Purse, I don't think um, people who are listening realize everything that Samaritan's Purse does for our veterans. Of course, this is close to our family's heart and to the ministry's heart. Um, on Veterans Day, you and Corey, my husband, for those who are listening, will be flying to one of our projects to help our veterans. So tell us uh, the projects that Samaritan's Purse does for our veterans and their families. So dad saw, I think, saw several of my friends that had been injured and they were strong Christians and yet they still struggled. Their marriages struggled after they got hurt. And I think dad realized there's a gap. He called me about it. And I was clearly, this is, I was still young in my career, but I was like, dad, there's so many great things out there for veterans take them to a NASCAR race, take them deer hunting. They're like a one-time touch and then they never deal with it. It's a great, it's a great pick-me-up weekend, but you're just feeding them food. Um, and that goes away, the hunger comes back. You gotta be part of them for life and committed to life and discipleship and getting them plugged into churches. And dad goes, I promise we will. And he laid it out what they were gonna do in Alaska. And what Alaska is, is a marriage retreat for wounded veterans that have been wounded in combat or in training and they can and they're married and they can bring their spouse to Alaska for a Christ-centered marriage retreat, a week, a week-long retreat. But you're out in the wilds of Alaska. It is um, you know, there's no roads there. You have to fly to get there. You fly in on some old military casas, army casas, so people are there planes that we fly I've jumped out of. So there, some people are going to feel very nostalgic when they get in there. But you get out there we have float planes. Um uh, we have fishing, the nicest fishing boats. Um it is like a dream vacation, but you know what? Not so much for the men that probably think want to go fishing. It's for the the wives love it because finally they're they got their husbands and they're right there, and you can't go anywhere. And those difficult conversations have to happen, um, and so that makes some people uncomfortable. But 
I think you see the wives leave there like more thankful for their time there. And some are better fishermen anyways. Um, but it, you got chaplains there that have seen this and walked the fire in combat with them. They know the language, they know the hurts, they know the pain, and they sit there and they speak the truth and gospel to them. And they earn that right to say, chaplain, can we talk? And it's, I think it's somewhere like 7% of the couples that go up accept Christ. And um, that's unbelievable. Nowhere else in the ministry do we have access like that. But what's even better is they make great decisions for Christ, but then they're going to go home and they're going to still face the same challenges and temptations. And we have an aftercare program where we want to get plugged into churches and we follow up with them and encourage their walk. But your husband, Corey, had such a great idea. And this was before I got here. Um, matter of fact, the day I showed up, basically dad said, hey, Corey had an idea. I think it's good. Go with it. And it's, we ended up calling it... Um, you know, Team Patriot. But I looked around and what we talked about before, our identities in the military, and some of them wake up and it's been ripped from them. I struggled and it was my decision. So see, I, I, every day for a year, I woke up thinking about the military. I felt like I was supposed to be going to, you know, PT with my men. When I was driving to work, I felt like I was exposed or I was, I felt guilty and I, I hurt and I ached for m the men that I worked with. Um, so I can understand these these wounded vets and how they struggle just because everything they loved was taken from them. And they told them, like, hey, you're physically not able to serve the country you love anymore. And that can crush a spirit. And Corey saw this, and I agree with it. I want these men and women to know they still have value and they have worth. God loves them. God has a purpose for them. And nothing about a physical injury changes all that. They're not handicapped. They're not handicapped in the in the eyes of the Lord. They've been pruned and prepared for, for a mission. And so Team Patriot is a, a thing where we just take the Alaska veterans. I've gone through the Alaska program, but get them involved in our disaster relief programs here in the, uh, the lower 48 in Alaska. Um, but we take them out and we do tarping. We do chainsawing. We have guys that are missing legs driving stid skiers and moving heavy equipment. We got guys missing arms cutting trees down, you know, with a chainsaw. It's unbelievable. And we want their kids to come. And we 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 pay for two deployments a year for them to come along and, and pay for the kids too because I want that girl, that son, to see their dad restored, getting after it, where an old lady comes out and she's crushed because her house has been destroyed or the tree fell down on it. And this group of veterans, wounded veterans, come up and rip it off and they put their arms around them and go, you're my hero. And that daughter gets to see that. All that pain, all that hurt their dad's gone through or their mom's gone through. And now they see him serving, getting after it, and so on, like, you're my hero. And veterans want to be part of a team again. I just told you before, like, we get around each other. It's like we can smell each other out in a crowd. You get them together. I don't care if you're Navy, you're the Marines, you're the Air Force, you're Army. It's like, and they go out there and they start crushing it in the name of Jesus Christ. Team Patriot's awesome. So they've been serving down in Louisiana. We've had all these storms. So for your li listeners, be praying for Louisiana. But Team Patriot's down there serving. And on Veterans Day, I'm going to go down there. We're 14 of them. And we're going to cut trees down. We're going to tarp roofs. We're going to mud out. We're going to get after it in the name of Jesus as a, as a band of brothers. Your husband had a great idea. And um, I just love to see where it's going and it's continued to grow. Well, and for those who are listening who want to know more about Operation Healer Patriots 
And for Team Patriot, I will put a link into our show notes of how you can know more about it and be a part and to be praying for them. But Edward, as we close, I look at um, into the future. We're so thankful for the men and women who have served this country. But we look at the young generation um, who can kind of take some hard hits at, at this time, um, who've been going through an education system that indoctrinates them mm-hmm. with different philosophies. And I know so many mothers who have come to me whose sons want to serve in the military. And the moms, these are Christian moms who don't want their sons to go in the military. And I said, if God has called them, there is no better way. I'm so thankful in the time that we're facing that there's still young people with patriotism in their heart to go serve. But what would you say to the young men and women who are thinking about serving or to those moms who are hesitant and they're scared? um, What would you say to them as we close? There's no greater honor. What a country. What a country I got to serve. There is no greater honor to serve this nation in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Sissy, I have such a heart right now for the military, for law enforcement, and teachers. If your kid feels called to any one of those fields, encourage them, mold them, build them for that. What kid wants to grow up and be a, a police officer in Portland, Oregon right now? I don't know any, but we need them. We need strong men and women that, that love the Lord, that fear the Lord, but love this country and their society, and they want to serve. The law enforcement that I've met, they're servants. They want to serve their fellow man, and we're fortunate to have them. It's a sin, and it's a sickness that's spreading across this country. It's a lie, and as Christians, we need to fight against that. The same for this nation. If we don't have strong men and women that believe in service and servant leadership and follow Christ's example in this country, we're doomed. What men and women will fight for it? And, uh, and willing to sacrifice it all. Um, I've, I was surrounded by, and some of them weren't believers, but I, I, and I, a lot of them weren't, but I was surrounded by so many men that loved this country and were willing to die. They don't want to die. No one goes in wanting to die, um, but they're willing to sacrifice all they know to be true, all their comforts to go out there. And you just said indoctrination in the schools. We need strong teachers out there that are committed to speaking truth and teaching the right and wrong, and le- but letting the students decide, not telling them how to think, but just showing them what truth is and praying for their students and letting God reveal themselves through it. We need teachers like that. And we have them out there. I know we do, and I'm so proud of them. Um, but sissy, for those mothers that are afraid, you think mom and dad were afraid? Of course they were. You think Christy wasn't afraid for me? Of course she was. No safer place to be in the in the palm of God's hand. And I was the whole time of my career. But the minute he called me to Samaritan's Purse, had I stayed in because I wanted to command the Ranger Battalion or stay longer, it had been selfish, and God's hand would have been off me. And that boy, you talk about danger then. And so he, he had me. He had a plan for me. He shaped and molded me. And Sissy, I can't think of the count. As you know, I got shrapnel all in my backs and legs. I got blown up plenty of times. But God had a plan for me. Your son or daughter will live their purpose if they're called to it. Allow them, bless them for that, encourage them, and start praying. My daughter wants to be a cop. I don't know if she will be one. Do I want her to be a police officer, a policewoman? Not really, but guess what? If that's what she wants to do, I'm going to be her biggest fan. I'm going to pray over her, and I'm going to commit her to the Lord. And uh, I'll, I'll be the proudest dad there is to watch Hannah if she becomes a police officer. But that's how I feel about it. Encourage your kids. Well, Edward, 
thank you for um, taking the time to join me today to give me and those who are listening just a special glimpse into your heart and to what God has called you to do and a glimpse into the life of a veteran and how thankful we are for our veterans on this day. Thank you for joining me and my brother Edward for a very special episode of Fearless. And to thank you for all the veterans out there today, how grateful we are for your service. And to know more about the two projects my brother Edward mentioned through Samaritan's Purse that help our veterans and their families, you can check it out in my show notes. God bless and have a wonderful day. I was a